Hey there, Vespuloids. Quick trigger warning for the episode today. We get right into some very graphic talk of suicide. Sensitive listeners are advised to steer clear of this entire episode. Listener discretion is advised. Thanks. Yeah, of course. Alright. Let me three, tell you a tale. Two. Come sit, grab an ale. A motherfucking yellow D and the D is for the generatic energy I generate. Don't know where tight say bite like it bites for criminal booty canals when I fuck the evil out. And it's Hello, and welcome to the Yellow Jacket Pulp, a weekly podcast of recovery through writing. I'm Yellow D, your reformed degenerate host. What does the D stand for today? Today the D stands for dearticulate. The dictionary definition of dearticulate is to disjoint dislocate or separate here's an example of dearticulate used in a sentence many of the joints in dom's lower body have been dearticulated from his fall as you heard last week dom took a tumble off a four-story tall building at his college i used that setting the math and science building in particular as the setting for dom to try and commit suicide because it holds a special place in my heart The first time I ever truly contemplated suicide was on the fourth floor of Riverside City College's Math and Science Building. When the thought hit me, it was like I was locked in place. I stood against the rail only inches from the edge for at least an hour, daring myself to jump and end it all. I would come back to this place often when I was suicidal and stand at the rail looking at the drop, wondering if it was enough to get the job done. Where my story differs from Dom's, though, is that I never actually hit the ground below. Instead, one night when I was particularly low, I took a fistful of prescription medication and washed it down with as much alcohol as I could stomach. I wanted to do it cleanly. I was trying not to leave a mess for my family. I laid down in bed and prepared to board the old black train. As the meds started kicking in, I felt like I was slowing down, and a peace grew within me as I accepted my decision. I could hear my heart and felt the pulse in my head as it slowed to a languorous lagarissimo. I drifted off into what I thought was nothingness until my eyes opened a few hours later due to an errant sunbeam from my window. The first sense that hit me after sight was smell. A good portion of my room was covered in vomit. My body saved this erratic degenerate's life by forcing out almost everything I had put in it. I still had enough of that stuff in my system to make walking difficult for three days. I got up, cleaned up the vomit, and went and told my dad it was time to go to the mental hospital without telling him why. When I got into processing, I had to come clean. I told the nurse and my dad what I had done, admitting it out loud for the first time. The look on my dad's face broke something in me. So began a 14-day stint in the mental hospital. The crazy thing about this is that the moment when I woke up covered in vomit, that was the exact moment my life started to turn around. The moment I stopped running and started taking responsibility for the mess my life was in. The path was and is long and arduous, but I no longer feel afraid of that hard work. The yellow jacket pulp is a part of this turnaround. Recovery is an ongoing process no matter what you are recovering from. Coming up in this week's chapter of Dom and the Twelve Consequences, Dom begins his turnaround. But first we have the inaugural chapter of a novel called The Curse of the Yellow Jacket. Stay tuned.
As Jagger sat in his parents' kitchen, the TV off in the distance mentioned some sort of growing viral crisis. He didn't hear it, though. His head was in a faraway place with a cold can of beer resting against his zygomatic bone, obscuring scars born of the recklessness of a childhood well spent. Rich chestnut curls wildly adorned his head, they had been left unbrushed after a calmingly warm shower. The beer was not for drinking. Alcoholics Anonymous and Lithium Carbonate had cured him of his problem drinking. One had shown him how drinking could definitely kill him. The other was a tedious and god-obsessed monolithic idol constructed to the gods of teetotalism. The only prize the beer held for him now was the feeling of intense coolness. Dialectical behavioral therapy had taught Jagger that directly above the zygomatic bone was a cluster of blood vessels that, when chilled, cools the brain and relaxes it. Jagger needed to calm down, way down. He was panicking because he was manic. Mania is a condition involving euphoria, accelerated and frenetic speaking patterns, limitless energy, increased risk-taking, impulsivity, insomnia, increased risk of substance abuse, and a terrible proclivity to overspend. In the past, Jagger had had all these symptoms in spades. In short, at this moment, he was a danger to himself. He was also likely to embarrass himself. There were so many ways to do it. Just tonight, he had gone on a date. He wasn't sure what he'd done wrong. He had always lacked self-awareness when manic. Maybe he shouldn't have read her the poetry he composed while he was waiting for her to show up. Perhaps he had been early or she had been late, probably both, though maybe, just maybe, she didn't like the evidence of either thrown in her face. Even if he showed her only because he thought it was a really good poem, see, overconfidence is killer, or maybe it was because he had eaten less than her. It was no secret. She was no petite thing. Bulges bulged at every conceivable point. She was beautiful in an unassuming way. More beautiful than her profile pictures would lead you to believe. She was a rarefied Parisian beauty buried deep in the drifts of alabaster white snow that was laid down by a blizzard of refined sugar and chicken wings, as well as days devoid of exertion and nights untroubled by the sensual arts spent at home exploring dungeons and fighting dragons. She had taken ample time to explain the intricacies and every major and minor point of basic D&D. Jagger was wrapped at this until he started imagining the adventures they'd take together. Farmers markets, brunches, all explored through the mysteries of a 20-sided die. Roll a natural 20 and find a sale on kale. A life lived through probability and unpredictability. Maybe he had self-sabotaged. What he needed was predictability. Instability was to be fought tooth and nail. Bipolar was instability incarnate, but not as you might think. While YD was still subject to everyday highs and lows, Bipolar's mood events were measured in months, not minutes, as most assumed. Being bipolar was a cycle. Three months of getting depressed and a month of intense depression. Then three months going up and a month so high he would have benefited from an oxygen mask like the climbers on Everest. Rinse, lather, repeat. He had had spastic springs and ended all falls. At this point, he could feel an emotional winter coming. But even though he was falling, he was still dangerously close to the sun that had melted his wings. 
as it had done time and time again. He still felt Mania's robust light burning his bones within him. There was a rhyme to Jagger's Mania. See, rhymes are made of patterns, and there was most definitely a pattern. It would start with the relief of not wanting himself dead. Then it would go to wanting to take care of himself, moving into cleaning out the accumulated detritus that serious mental illness brings. He'd become more and more social week after week, seeking friendship, attention, connection. He'd see potential with pretentious professions, then a tremendous obsession with a reception of a plan to spread his wingspan and fly, to cry flaws in the system, to try to get people to resist him. He'd stop eating, stop sleeping, then he'd get distracted. Then he'd get horny. Then things would get thorny. He'd get drunk. He'd get high. Time would pass by and BOOM! He'd wake up naked, restrained because he was deranged, handcuffed to the stretcher. He'd be drugged, stronger this time. He was already a walking pharmacy. And at any given time, he'd be on uppers, downers, antipsychotics, mood stabilizers, and more. He'd stay in the hospital for anywhere between the required 72 hours of his 5150 all the way to the 17 days of a 5250 fully implemented. He had been to the mental hospital so often that he had closely held nicknames for the staff, though he would never tell them. There was Trump, the psychiatrist who cared for his patients with the same acumen Donald Trump brought to running a casino, or a country for that matter. Then there was the mental health technician nicknamed Jupac, known for his stunningly well-maintained forelocks, and his tendency to rap surprisingly well during karaoke when it was done for the patient's occupational therapy. Another one was the therapist, TI-81. He brought all the compassion of a graphing calculator to his group therapy sessions. Obviously, he had been unable to cut it in med school and had pivoted. Similar to TI-81, Jagger had pivoted from studying medicine, or pre-medicine as it were, to another subject. The difference was that Jagger had kept pivoting with every passing fancy. He had first pivoted to acting in an attempt to be a movie star. He spent all his money on headshots and acting classes. Then he found out he had stage fright, and he pivoted to stand-up comedy, a profession done almost entirely on stage. When he quit that, he decided that writing was his talent. He'd actually been successful publishing a debut novel to some limited acclaim. It had been enough to make back the money he spent on acting classes and drink minimums from stand-up. However, he lacked the discipline to make a career of it. He grew tired a hundred pages into his next novel. Then came his study of the art of sailing, in which he had spent every cent he had again. Soon he pivoted to factory worker, Uber driver, and CEO of a company which didn't legally exist. Then he declared himself Obama's successor in the second coming of Christ. This is when people started to notice something wasn't right. See, it would have been nice if Jagger had just been bipolar. However, that was not to be. He had been reevaluated and found to be bipolar effective. This was bad, especially since the acronym of this condition is literally BAD. Picture this you are a car. Bipolar disorder is driving the car. In the passenger seat, sits schizophrenia, who is known to be a terrible backseat driver, yet proceeds to backseat drive anyways. Reckless decisions are made with reckless abandon, and every four to eight months you find yourself a smoking wreck. Furthermore, it'll cost tens of thousands to put you back together again, and stupid bipolar forgot to renew your insurance. This had been Jagger's life for a while now. 
In three years, he had racked up $350,000 in medical debt and mental hospital visits, actual hospital visits, partial hospital programs, intensive outpatient programs, monthly psychiatrist visits, bi-weekly cognitive behavioral therapy, prescription medications, and hobbies to keep him occupied during the long, boring days on disability. One might say he shouldn't have mentioned all this on a first date. To Jagger, though, he'd seen time and time again that people would run if they were apt to run. Certain people just weren't equipped to deal with issues of this magnitude. Runners would run and saints would act saintly. He'd seen how runners could disguise themselves as saints, though. Empty promises had been made. They would say that his issues didn't scare them. It happened time and time again. All they could do was continue with a strong smile and a sad heart. He'd turn sadness to kindness and shower that on the next person, until eventually the cycle stopped and he found the one who'd stay with him through thick and thin. In fact, that's what this story is about. It's about how Jagger stopped his cycles of suffering. It's about how he changed the rhyme scheme of his life to include the best friend he'll ever make. He'll be free from strife and put bipolar on ice. More times than you care to count, his resolve will be tried and found to be worthy. It's quite possible he'll get arrested, but Jagger is not one to give up. He'll break the curse of the Yellow Jacket and live as a man who is loved. What is the curse of the Yellow Jacket, you ask? It's simply this. No one is ever happy to see a Yellow Jacket. As he sits at the table pondering where he went wrong tonight, in the apartment next door, a heart is about to be broken for the last time. This week's episode of Dom and the Twelve Consequences deals with the aftermath of a failed suicide attempt. Listener discretion is advised. Chapter 5 As a result of my choice to use, I turned my back on my family. Time seemed to have slowed down. As each floor passed by, he was so shocked that he found himself unable to process what was going on. He felt no peace, no happiness, none of the solace that's supposed to come with falling to your death. Then he hit the ground. There was no pain, no suffering. As the senses faded, he had no idea that the time of torture would soon be upon him. Ten hours later, as Dom opened his eyes, the overriding sensory information he was receiving from his body was exquisitely dreadful pain, blossoming mainly from his legs, though everything hurt. He tried to move to get a look at what was going on with his legs, but he was stopped dead in his tracks by the tormented screams of anger his body was sending to his brain. He wondered how he'd gotten here. The fall should have killed him, right? Then he remembered how it actually went down. He hadn't jumped. He'd fallen. He had failed to make the horizontal leap to hit concrete. He'd hit grass. Still, it was an unforgiving surface. Just not as unforgiving as concrete. It had messed him up pretty good, though. 
He could hardly move his body without shrieking in agony. Suddenly, he heard someone come in. Good, you're awake. We thought you were going to be out for a while longer, so we told your family to go grab a bite to eat. I'm Dr. Johnson. Your family has been here for quite some time. You gave them a terrible scare. That was the point. I wanted to more than just scare them. What were you doing on the outside of that railing? I was going to kill myself. Your grandma mentioned something about a confrontation you two had earlier. Was that why you did it? It was because I'm done living. I've had enough. Today was just the straw that broke the camel's back. Have you felt this way long? Your family told me of an attempt to overdose a couple years ago. Why didn't you tell anyone you felt like this? I felt this way my entire adult life. Ever since my mental illness started affecting me, there was no one to tell. They've all been assholes to me. I feel so alone. Well, judging by their reactions today, I'd say that that's probably not the case. You don't know them like I do. What's going to happen to me? Are you going to send me to a mental hospital? I don't know if you can tell, but you're not really in any shape to be moved. The fall did extensive damage to your legs. Will I ever walk again? Well, that's up to you in the end. Recovering from something like this is going to take some time, and a tremendous amount of effort on your part. Dom shrunk. Tremendous effort was the last thing he wanted to do. As for going to the mental hospital, that's to be seen. You were already placed on an involuntary 72-hour hold when you came in. You'll serve that whole hold here, but it's also likely you'll be placed on an involuntary 14-day hold. 14 days? Yeah, that's pretty likely. I, I mean, you did just attempt suicide in a very intense and serious manner. That's bullshit! Dom! The voice of Dom's dad rang out as he entered the room. You do not curse at your doctor. Your doctors are the only reason you're still here, boy. Well, that's in the grass. Dom's grandma added as she entered the room. Ha ha. Doctor, when can I get some pain meds? My legs hurt like crazy. Well, Dom, you're already on the maximum amount of pain medication we can give you for a few hours. This is about as low level as your pain is going to get for some time. What? That's not fair. Well, that's why we don't jump off buildings. Nice bedside manner. Doctor, can you give Dom and I a minute? Certainly. Dom, you can hit the button when you need something and a nurse will be right in. The doctor exited the room, leaving Dom alone with his father and grandmother. As soon as they were alone, Dom's grandmother started in right away. Dom, how could you do this? This is the most inconsiderate, foolish, and idiotic thing you could have done. What did you hope to accomplish by killing yourself? Did you even think how we'd feel? Well, I was hoping you'd feel bad. Well, we would have, but we would have gotten over it. This stunned Dom. No, no, you wouldn't have. Yes, we would have. It would have been hard at first, but that's how life is. It moves on with or without you. Life doesn't care. I can't believe you tried to kill yourself out of something as petty as spite. 
That's a terrible reason to kill yourself. You're trying to solve a temporary disagreement with a permanent solution. Why are you giving up your life? Because I don't care about my life anyways. It's terrible. Making you guys feel as shitty as I did was just a bonus. Dom, that's terrible. Can, can you guys go? You're making me feel worse. I don't need this shit. Right now my body feels about as bad as my mind does all the time. You're not getting rid of us that easily. If your mind feels this way all the time, why won't you take even the smallest step to help yourself? Nothing helps. How would you know? You haven't even tried. You don't listen to reason. Your doctors all tell you that weed isn't helping. Why do you guys care so much about the weed? I'll probably need it more than ever now that my legs are fucked up. Good luck getting weed when you can't walk. We're certainly not going to help you. Fuck you. Fuck all of you. If I could jump again, I would. And this time, I wouldn't hit grass. You talk tough, but life's going to be hard for a while. There's no getting around it. You won't have the chance to die. People are going to be checking in on you constantly. And when you're done in here, you bought yourself a one-way ticket to the mental hospital. Fuck you, I'm not going. You think you have a choice? Dom, you just jumped off a building to spite someone. The doctors have already made the order. You're going to stay here until you're stable enough to make the trip over to the Behavioral Medical Center. Hot tears were rolling down Dom's face, and not just because of the harsh words. Somehow, his legs had started feeling even worse. Could you ask the doctor for some more painkillers? My legs are on fire. You need to toughen up, Dom. You know as well as I do that the BMC doesn't allow patients to take addictive medication. It's going to be Tylenol and ice once you leave here. This is for your own good. You got addicted to a non-addictive drug. What's going to happen if you get an opioid addiction to go with everything else? If you ever want to walk again, let alone feel better, you've got a tough road ahead of you. Feeling better mentally is probably going to be even tougher for you than walking. And walking is going to be agony upon agony. you still got several surgeries ahead of you, countless hours of physical therapy, and you're going to have to do it all without your precious pot. Fuck you. Out. Now. And with that, they retreated from the room, leaving Dom with nothing to comfort him but the weather channel, which was predicting a storm of epic proportions. Now, as we come to the poetry corner, we have a poem I wrote shortly before my suicide attempt, when I was in the exact depression that caused me to try and end my life. I won't ask you to enjoy this poem, but perhaps you will gain some insight into my depressive side. I'm doing time in a prison of my own making. Their gun is mine for the taking. Polished to an inch of its life. Slugs unaffected by salt waiting to be inside of me. The cool metal brushes my temple. Twenty pounds of pressure is all that separates me from a second life, never having a wife, to leave me inevitably because of my issues. 
No one can stand the constant struggle between life and death. I unload five shots and spin it. Hopefully the first shot shoots, but I won't stop shooting till I'm done. Until I paint the walls a sanguine hue. Chunks of matter spilled from a busted egg. Cook me sunny side up and burn the rest. Thank you all for sticking around to the end of this powerful and difficult episode of the Yellow Jacket Pulp. Talking about this stuff is hard for me, but helps me feel better. I hope as we follow Dom's progress, you will learn something about pushing through the difficult moments of life, like the situation we are currently in. Stay safe, listeners, and tune in next week for another episode of the Yellow Jacket Pulp. Vaya con Dios, mi amigos.